the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. You know, in our language, as it is, I think, perhaps in any language, oftentimes there are misunderstandings. We'll sometimes say, well, it comes down to a matter of semantics. Words over time change. Their uses change. Their meanings change. The shift in our lexicon over time certainly can be significant. Sometimes, though, the use of words incorrectly can be as a result of error, and that error can have an impact that goes on for decades, centuries, if not millennia. And as a lead into our topic today, that certainly is the case. When the latest book written by John MacArthur, Host of Grace to You, came across my desk, I thought, isn't it interesting that John will be dealing with this topic here in the 21st century? Well, of course, as always, once you start turning the pages of any MacArthur book, you discover that John has managed to extract some nuggets from Scripture and sort of pull back the curtains of time, so to speak, to give us a deeper glimpse into not just the father's heart and his intention, but ultimately what he has in store for us. John, of course, has been the host on Grace to You for many, many years, heard weekday mornings at 10.30 a.m. here on KFAX. And John, as always, a delight and privilege to have you on the program. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you, Craig, and thank you. Thank you for the partnership we enjoy uh, there with you guys in San Francisco. Now, John, you and I have known each other for many years. You've been a guest on this show a lot of times, and, and I certainly know you never to be a man to, to shy away from controversy <laughs> of no doubt. I looked at the title of the new book, and I thought, this is interesting. And then as I dove into your new book, Slave, The Hidden Truth About Your Identity in Christ, I thought, you know, this is going to be a difficult message to communicate with a lot of people in the politically correct environment we have in America today, and yet the more I read of your book, I came to the conclusion that as politically incorrect as it may appear to be on the surface, there is perhaps no greater message for this time for believers than the one you share inside this new book. Wow, thank you so much, Craig. You know, I don't pursue controversy, I pursue truth, and controversy results I'm always looking for the truth, and I was flying to England a few years ago, and I was studying the word doulos in the New Testament, which is the word for slave. It always means slave in Greek, Uh, always. It doesn't mean servant. A servant is someone who does a job. A slave is someone who is owned, and there's a specific Greek word for slave, and it's doulos. Well, it's used 130 times in the New Testament. But every time it's used to refer to a believer, the translators have substituted some form of the word servant. 
So I thought, well, why did they do this? Why, what are they trying to hide? So I went all the way back to the Geneva Bible in 1560, where, you know, the, the reformers were putting the Bible together in English under John Knox, and I discovered from some historical studies that they felt that the concept of slavery just had too much negative baggage, and so they opted for the word servant. Well, unfortunately, that's not the word that our Lord intended when he revealed the scripture, but if you take every English translation since then up until the modern time, with only one recent exception, they all follow that and continue to use the word servant or bondservant rather than slave because of the stigma. So I began to kind of unpack that and realize that there was something hidden from all of us that is profoundly important about our identity as slaves of Christ. And of course, as you suggest, that sort of stigma attached to the word is not a, a modern day 20th or 21st century uh, a challenge that we deal with. It looks like that sense of trying to be politically correct goes back over a couple of millennia here, or at least a, a millennia and a half. Yeah, that said, it, it opens up some very interesting thoughts with regard to what are not, I would consider to be, John, subtle differences, but very significant differences between the application of these two words. No, there's no question about it. And, and think about it. People say, well, boy, that's offensive. That's offensive. Even the publisher said, oh, we can't. First of all, they said, we can't use that word in the title. It's too offensive. Well, I said, look, we don't have any slaves that I know of in America here. So what, what is all the problem about that word? And they said, well, people remember, you know, 200 years ago when there were slaves. So I said, just put yourself in Paul's position. Paul lives in the Roman world. There are between uh, 12 and 15 million slaves. One out of five people is a slave. They all understood what slavery was. And yet everywhere he went and everywhere the apostles went, they were telling people they needed to become the slaves of a crucified Jew rejected by his own nation and killed by the Romans because he was God incarnate and the only Savior. Now that's a hard sell in a world of slavery. And yet that was the message. Uh, the abuses of slavery, the Bible doesn't tolerate. But the concept of being bought and owned is the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And of course, if you add the component that today, the way the gospel is twisted, Jesus becomes the slave of a person. You, whatever you want, you want happiness, you want fulfillment, you want prosperity, you want healing, you want success. You know, Jesus just wants to roll out and give you what you want. That, that kind of twist reverses the roles and makes the sinner sovereign and Jesus the slave. So for, for a lot of reasons, we need to get this right. You know, and I think it's critically important here because clearly, as you point out, John, the writers of the New Testament, uh, they didn't choose that word by accident. They used doulos because they knew that that word was weighty, that it had significance, it had social significance uh, during the first century. And as such, I think, as you're suggesting inside the pages of your, your new book, Slave, the writers were, were looking to convey a very specific message in relationship to the relationship the believers have with our Savior. Absolutely right. And, and, and the part of it was the sole 
role that the Lord played. Jesus said you cannot be a slave to two masters. You can only be owned by one. In Jude, it says that uh, Jesus is our only master and Lord. And with the rich young ruler, Jesus said, you know, you either worship me or you worship her money. And the guy turned and walked away because his God was money. And he had a different Lord than the Lord that he, uh, he had approached and asked about eternal life. So the singular identity of Jesus as Lord means that you submit wholly, solely, and only to him. That's why he said, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, you have to start by denying yourself. Repentance and self-denial, affirming uh, Christ as Lord, that's what it means to be a true Christian. And it's interesting because if we compare the two words here, I mean, take, for example, that there are those in the audience that maybe have servants. Maybe they are wealthy. They have individuals who are butlers and maids. They take care of household chores and things of this sort. They are compensated for their services. They might be under contract, but that contract could be severed at any time. And at the point at which the person who is paying them for the services no longer pays them or they wish to disengage from those services, that relationship is severed. Where if we look at the the comparison of the word servant to the word slave, we know immediately one significant difference here, John, is, and this this struck me immediately inside of the first couple of pages in the book, is, well, of course this makes sense, because for the Christian, just like the slave, first and foremost, we have to understand we were bought with a price. That is the heart of it. It's a footnote, but you, but people need to consider that there are six words in Greek used in the New Testament that means servant. All six of them describe a function. Doulos doesn't describe a function. It describes a relationship. And that's exactly right. The way you put it is is exactly right. I could serve a lot of people. Somebody working for you could work for somebody else. It could work for 15 people. But when you say he is Lord and master, my only Lord and master, then you have total submission to the one who is your Lord. If you've just joined the conversation, we're visiting today with Dr. John MacArthur, host of Grace to You, heard weekday mornings at 10.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. John's new book is called Slave, The Hidden Truth About Your Identity in Christ, newly published by Thomas Nelson. More information available on the web at gracetoyou.org or simply gty.org. We'll get back to more of our conversation with Dr. John MacArthur as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to Lifeline. Once again, Craig Roberts with our very special guest today. You know him as the voice of grace to you. Heard weekday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Monday through Friday here on KFAX. He's Dr. John MacArthur. John's latest book is entitled Slave, The Hidden Truth About Your Identity in Christ. John, in your research on this topic, talk to me and our listeners about the perspective here, because a lot of times it comes down to a matter of perspective as to not how we might define our relationship with Christ, but more importantly, how Christ would define it. In other words, being Christian as Jesus would define it, do we see consistency with the application of this word slave? Well, absolutely, because it was our Lord who said that 
you identify yourself as belonging to me by your obedience. Obedience is the operative word. If you love me, he said, you will keep my commandments. The defining nature of a believer is very clearly built around this concept of loving obedience. You know, there's this notion today that Jesus just comes along like the genie that fixes your life, or that Jesus comes along to be your buddy, or that Jesus rescues you from, from hell, and it's little more than that. that. That couldn't be further from the truth. You're talking about total self-denial, a willingness to even die, taking up your cross, and then following him counting the cost, whatever the cost is, hating yourself, hating your own life, turning away from anything and everything to do specifically and solely what the Lord Jesus asks you to do. That's essentially it. So we're, that's why when we talk about what Paul and the early apostles were doing, it was clear to everybody they were saying, you need to be the slave of Jesus Christ. Everybody knew exactly what that meant. He'll provide for you protection, provision, everything you need. He'll pay the price, as you put it. He'll purchase you the price of his own blood, of course, in the case of our Lord Jesus. You become his possession. He will discipline and reward you. They all understood exactly what that meant. But as you put it, the heart and soul of this is you can't really understand the whole idea of redemption being bought out of the slave market of sin by the price of the blood of Jesus Christ unless you understand it in the context of being purchased to belong to him as his own slave. And it's interesting because you and I have discussed this another topic that, that, is, that resonates close to this very closely, um, and that is the whole issue of lordship. And the idea that there are a lot of believers that sort of want a lordship in, in, in relationship to what God can do for me. You know, God is kind of the cosmic bellhop. Uh, you know, I need more money in my bank account and things of this sort. God go and do. And so we want a, a negotiated lordship here. We want it on our terms. And yet it's interesting. If you look at the, the core definition of a slave, we come down to the fact that um, you can't pick and choose. You are owned by your master. And this is non-negotiable. You have to follow and obey what your master says with the sum of your entire existence. In fact, your entire existence is to simply do your master's bidding. So this really takes on a whole different tenure, doesn't it, too, when we even look at this contextualized under the lordship relationship. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Jesus is such a model of that in Philippians 2. Unfortunately, it's not translated correctly, but where it says that, he took upon himself the form of a Philippians 2. It's actually slave. He became slave to the Father. And in the garden, he says, not my will, but yours be done. There's a brand of Christianity that you're referring to floating out around there that assumes that we have a right to demand the power without the submission. We, you know, we have a right to call on the power and to tap the power and and, and uh, speak the sort of the power into existence, and Jesus is obligated to give us the power. Uh, but but that's a that's without any consideration of submission and obedience to His will completely. And that that's true Christianity, where you confess Jesus as Lord, deny yourself, 
hate yourself, reject the person that you are, and totally submit to his will as what is right and best. And adding to the richness of this, however, the, 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 the picture of the New Testament is we are slaves who then become friends. I call you not merely slaves, but friends, John 15. We are then adopted as sons, which is something that a slave would consider the greatest thing possible. We're not only sons, we are then made citizens. No slave could be a citizen. We then become joint heirs of all that the Father possesses, and one day in glory we reign with him. So this is a new kind of marvelous slavery to the most benevolent, gracious, protective, lavish, providing Lord that anyone could ever have who has all the resources and wants only our very best. I'm glad you went down this road, John, because I want you to expand upon this idea for a moment. We often think of slavery, and and certainly in a a modern-day connotation, we think of the slavery that's going on in Sudan, we think of the slavery that happened in the history of America, and we remember all that was negative about it. But in the context of slavery and the social structure that would have existed during the first century when when the writers of the New Testament were, 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 were dialoguing for us. Give us some more insight on that. It, it occurs to me that, number one, the relationship between the slave and master would be one where the slave, in many levels, wanted for naught. They were clothed, they were fed, they were housed. All of their basic needs were met by the master. Yeah, they were not the poor, necessarily. It was the free men that would likely generally be the poor. They were the ones trying to eke out an existence on their own. Uh, Slavery could be very benevolent, depending on the nature of the master. I point out in the book in great detail that there were benevolent uh, uh, slave masters. There were benevolent lords who cared well for their slaves. Uh, There were abuses. Of course there were abuses. But there were many slaves who became friends. There were many slaves who were adopted as sons and therefore were made citizens. There were slaves who were given freedom. So the Lord never... And he knew everything about slavery, but the Lord never attempted to abolish slavery. The apostles never attempted to abolish slavery, but our Lord and the apostles spoke directly against the abuse of slavery, defining how masters should treat their slaves and how slaves should obey their masters appropriately, particularly in the case of Philemon. You remember that little story? But it is a social relationship that, if handled well, could be the best it could be the most benevolent to have a home to have a family to have all your provisions met to be protected to be cared for uh, to be provided uh, opportunity to serve and expand your abilities and your gifts look in the in the roman empire there could be a medical doctor, uh, there could be a lawyer, uh, there could be a craftsman of any kind that was a slave the, the thing that people did didn't necessarily define whether they were slaves or free, because slaves and free men could do the same things. And in many cases, slaves were far better off. Certainly, when we look at it from the kingdom viewpoint, how wonderful that my Lord will provide all my needs. How wonderful that the one who is my master will never condemn me. No one will ever take me out of his hand. How wonderful that he will give me lavishly out of the riches of his grace so that every need is met. 
that he will take me into his own home, make me a member of his family, elevate me to eternal glory. Luke 12 even has a picture of Jesus when we get to heaven rising up and serving his slaves. Uh, Just a completely different picture. And unfortunately, because the translators uh, toyed with that word, we've lost the richness and the significance of this identity. If you've just joined the conversation, we're visiting today with Dr. John MacArthur, host of Grace to You, heard weekday mornings at 10.30 a.m. right here on KFAX. John's new book is called Slave, The Hidden Truth About Your Identity in Christ, newly published by Thomas Nelson. More information available on the web at gracetoyou.org or simply gty.org. We'll get back to more of our conversation with Dr. John MacArthur as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Once again, Craig Roberts with our very special guest today. You know him as the voice of Grace to You. Heard weekday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Monday through Friday here on KFAX. He's Dr. John MacArthur. John's latest book is entitled Slave, The Hidden Truth About Your Identity in Christ. It seems, John, as if the big issue here that is at play quietly in the background, as it typically is at so many levels of our Christian walk, and that is the flesh is at play. I think of this idea that we we buck against the idea of submission to the Lord. We almost, as we kind of you know related to a moment ago, uh, we want this optional. <laughs> we want to kind of pick and choose where and to what degree we submit to the Lord. Because I think we our flesh fights against the idea of, as a slave would have, the sole concern was to carry out the interests of the order. And that certainly is what God asks of us, that our sole concern ought to be to carry out the interests of our Lord. That is absolutely right and well said. Uh, the other, the other ad, thing to add to that is, who knows best what is for you the best? Who knows? And the Lord does. Do do I want to say, look, Lord, you can be my Savior, but I'm going to keep control of my life? How foolish is that? I can't see past my nose. I don't know what's coming in the next moment. My Lord is sovereign. All I ever want to say in my life is, Lord, your will be done. Uh, that's That's the healthiest, that's the wisest, that's the best path. Lord, I give you everything. You be my Lord. You determine my life. You give me only that which honors you and which will bless me, because I know in the end that has eternal consequences. And by the way, I was just looking at Revelation 22.3. That's a picture of the new heavens and the new earth, the eternal state. And it says there, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, the new Jerusalem, and his slaves will serve him. So if you think that it will be any different in heaven, it won't be. We're always going to be his slaves, but we will be gloriously rewarded in glory for all that he has provided for us there, awaits us there. We'll be happy to be slaves in that eternal place. You know, and it dawns on me too, John, we began our conversation talking about semantics and political correctness and incorrectness and people bristling at the idea of slavery. And I can see people even for a moment in the context that we have discussed this, kind of having that sense of resistance. You know, uh, I, I think our flesh is designed in such a fashion to battle against that. And yet it's interesting that 
this issue of slavery is something that while we may not recognize it, we're already engaged in, so many of us, because we are slaves to sin. Yeah, Romans 6, 16, you are slaves to sin and you've become slaves of righteousness. Uh, last week, um, uh, I was in, uh, of all places, Charleston, South Carolina, which was slave central uh, in the past, uh, half of all the slaves that came from Africa and America came through Sullivan's Island there in Charleston. I was there for a conference on slave conducted by an African-American church and African-American leaders there in the African-American section of Charleston, the east side of Charleston, in an African-American church. And I was there because they invited me to come because the leaders said this concept of slavery is the most liberating thing we've ever heard because so many of us carry around this baggage, the weight of the abuses of slavery in the past, and certainly we all understand that. But to, to get rid of that, that holding on to that old kind of slavery and be liberated in the wonder of this generous, benevolent, glorious slavery that is ours in Jesus Christ was the most liberating, this guy said it was the most liberating message he'd ever heard, so he wanted me to come down there, and we had an unbelievable week with those precious people just talking about what it means to be the slave of Christ and how glorious a privilege that is. And to finally, I think, break the bonds of the past for those in our country today, John, that have a history, a familiar history that goes back to the slave days, and, and, and all that attends to that, the baggage, the weightiness of all of that, to, to be finally have that burden released. And you, I, I think attending to this, this aspect of our conversation, you've got a chapter that when I just saw the chapter title set me back on my heels, that I think really will help us get a deeper understanding of exactly what you're speaking to here. You talk about being saved from sin, slaved by grace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Romans 6 again. Uh, we, uh, we were slaves of sin, but thanks be unto God, where we once were slaves of sin, we are now become the slaves of righteousness. You know, this is the illusion that the sinner has, that he's free. You know, this is what Luther said when he wrote The Bondage of the Will. You are free as a sinner, but you're only free to choose your sin. You're not free to choose not to sin. You're just, you can pick your poison, but it's going to kill you and it's going to damn you. So don't be under any illusion that you're really free. You never become free from the bondage of sin until you are freed by Christ and become his slave and the slave of righteousness. And then you have been liberated from sin. You've been liberated from its penalty. You've been liberated from its dominating power. And you're now free to live in righteousness and to enjoy the blessing of that. You know, I think, John, we're reminded in Scripture that his ways are not our ways. For so many that walk around under the weight, the pain, the bondage of sin, and they wish to be freed from all of this, um, to think that they can find their freedom in slavery. Wow. That's the paradox, that you will be free when you become the slave of sin, free from death, free from sin's dominating power, and free from punishment, from hell, from condemnation, you're set free. You know, wh whom the Lord has made free is free indeed. 
We are free, and we have all the freedoms that belong to being a slave of Christ. He determines our freedoms. We are free to do what is right. We are free to enjoy his blessings. We are free to serve and minister and free to enjoy the lavish resources that grace provides for us. John, I almost feel at this moment, particularly for those that are eavesdropping on our conversation um, and hearing the insights that you have shared from the pages of your new book, Slave, The Hidden Truth About Your Identity in Christ, that it can be a real pivotal point in one's relationship with the Lord, either in, in deepening one's walk, in renewing that walk, or perhaps establishing that walk for the very first time. For so many that have wanted to be out again from that bondage, the weight that... that um, that burden that they have dealt with of slavery to sin and want to fully enter into what it means to then suddenly become a slave for Christ, where their sole concern is to carry out the interests of our Lord and Master by whom we have been bought with a price. Where do people begin? How would you counsel somebody listening to our conversation right now that says, you know what, that word made me bristle when I first heard Craig and John mention it. Now I'm beginning to see. How would you counsel that individual? Well, I would say this. You're going to be a slave. You are a slave. You, you do not have freedom. You're either a slave to sin, and the end of that is condemnation and hell or you're a slave to righteousness, and the end of that is glory and heaven. Christ wants to set you free from the bondage of sin. You have to be willing to admit your sin, to admit your bondage, and from the depths of your heart, the desire has to be strong to be rescued from that bondage, and the only, the only rescuer there is, is Christ. And if you will acknowledge Jesus Christ as your only Master and Lord and give Him your life in exchange for His forgiveness of all your sins and the promise of eternal life, then you will become His slave. You will go from a slavery that is deadly and crushing and corrupting and burdening to a kind of slavery to Christ that is freeing and joyous and hopeful and full of grace. And it all comes down to confessing Jesus as Lord and believing the gospel in your heart that he died and rose again and was raised from the dead as a sacrifice for your sins. If you put your trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, genuinely willing to be his slave, you will be liberated from the bondage to sin and freed to live according to righteousness. I know that for a lot of us, the concept of slavery as being something that would be liberating is a difficult one to wrap our, our minds around. And that's the reason why I want to encourage you to dive into this book. Um, as John points out, we're a slave regardless. But we do have the choice to decide what kind of slave we wish to be. Do we wish to be a slave to sin? Or do we wish to exchange that kind of slavery that ultimately ends up in nothing but pain and condemnation to exchange that for slavery and servitude to Jesus Christ and in doing so 
experience true liberation. The book is called Slave, The Hidden Truth About Your Identity in Christ, published by Thomas Nelson and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also get information about the book on the Grace to You website. It's simply gty.org. That's gty for grace to you.org. The program Grace to You, weekday mornings at 1030 a.m. right here on KFAX. And um, its host, of course, has been the author of this book and our guest on this edition of Lifeline, John MacArthur. John, as always, we appreciate the time and the insights. Thank you, Craig. Great to be with you again. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Recently, we reported on a story out of Oklahoma where a federal appeals court is upholding an injunction against a measure that would ban judges from considering Islamic law in their decisions. Why is even such a ban necessary in a nation that was founded as a Christian nation? With some insights, we're joined by a very well-known speaker on KFAX. His broadcast, Turning Point, comes your way each weekday morning at 10 a.m. He is Dr. David Jeremiah, Senior Pastor of Shadow Mountain Community Church in San Diego. And uh, Pastor Jeremiah, great to have you back on the program. Thank you for having me. You're going to be coming to Northern California for a very special event on Friday, February the 10th at the Power Balance Pavilion in Sacramento. And we'll share some details with our listeners in a moment on that. But let's first deal with this topic that you so artfully address in your latest book, I Never Thought I'd See the Day. And I suppose that's a reaction that many Bible-believing Christians are having these days when they do open the paper or turn on the news and see these stories and wonder to themselves, my goodness, this is almost as if uh, we're watching Rome repeat itself. I heard somebody say uh, yesterday that uh, what's going on in America today is like somebody took the Ten Commandments and reversed them. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what's happening. You know, we, we know certainly that the effects of the depravity of man and sin in the world is going to have this, this corrupting effect on society. And then the Bible certainly tells us and warns us of all of that. And yet it just seems as if in, in the last generation or two that uh, the the arise of of, of anti Christian thinking in the public arena, uh, the attack on everything that is holy and sacred and on morals and so forth, just seems to be ramped up to a feverish pace. What do you think's going on here? Well, you know, um, first of all, we live in an age when communication is so much more immediate than it's ever been. So whatever is happening, we know about it all immediately. But there's never been a time in my life when all of these issues that we wrote about in this book have been so intense, and they're all together at one time. Uh, some of it's fueled by the financial crises, but much of it's just the moral uh, erosion that's taken place. And, you know, um, somebody told me one time that moral erosion is like a train. It starts very slowly, but it picks up steam. It just seems like we're running at a rampant pace right now with a lot of things uh, going in the wrong direction. And it seems to have uh, permeated virtually every part of life. I mean, I, I think many of us have sat absolutely dumbfounded at the events that have been unfolding on Wall Street since 2008. And so much of us, yes, changes in laws and, and uh, you know, uh, levels of sophistication and, and creativity and lending that, that heretofore had been uh, Unimaginable, and yet so much of it driven by the sense of greed. I mean, Bernard Madoff alone has got to be 
the poster child for greed in America. But beyond all of that, then just seeing some of these basic things that we almost took for granted. I mean, never mind the notion of just common courtesy, uh, opening a door for a woman as you're going into a building, uh, you know, offering your seat on the bus uh, to an older individual. It's not just that some of the common courtesies have gone by the wayside, but it seems as if the, the, the devil has taken over and is, is thoroughly ensconced on the throne uh, of this world and is having just a glorious time. Well, we're not offering him much resistance in the church because for many of us in the church, we don't really even understand that we're in a, a battle. You know, one of the chapters in this book is that... Uh, we don't think we we don't think we're in a war, and I'm not talking about the the war with terrorism in our in our culture. I'm talking about the war with Satan. We are in a war, and if we don't know we're in a war, if we're not prepared for it, then there's no way we can win. We can't fight. And you know, if we didn't have the the tools necessary to ascertain what was going on here, that might be a different story. If we could claim some level of, of ignorance about such matters, but you know, I, I'm reminded of the one passage. I think it's John ten ten that we are reminded that the 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 enemy of our soul, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I mean, so much of this we we knew. I mean, that this is that we can't really claim much ignorance on this, can we? No, uh, you know, if you've been in church for any length of time, you know that uh, Satan is not happy when when we first of all embrace Christ, but as we walk forward with Christ, we're walking into the darkness and bringing the light. And he's the prince of darkness and is not very excited about us doing that, so he fights against us and the Bible tells us that we war against him. And so you know, I think one of the things that's really important, and I'm not talking here about the political process that may have a part in it. Anytime you talk about fighting, everybody wants to talk about the cultural wars, and the cultural wars are simply the reflection of the spiritual, the spiritual uh, wars that that are out there. And we need to start with the equipment God has given us, put on the whole armor of God, and and uh, stand and having stood. Uh, you know, be strong, and we're, we're not doing that right now. You're suggesting what? That maybe we need another new great awakening in in the body of Christ. You know what? Uh, people ask me what the, what the hope is for our nation, and you know, I, I can search that through as I have, and there really isn't any hope un- unless God re- revisits us as He has in the past. And I believe that's certainly possible, and I think we should be praying for that. Um, but the answer to the issue of our nation is not a political one. I mean, there's some political overtones, but we we need a revival. We need God to visit us, and it starts, the, as you know, it starts with the house of God. Well, of course, ironically, as you point out, what we're seeing taking place um, in, in worked out in a moral fashion in America today, and even globally, is symptomatic of, of something deeper going on, and that's this battle, as you're suggesting, uh, the, the, this war going on in, in, in principalities and high places. It's spiritual warfare that we're seeing unfold here, and you're right, the weapon 
weapons of our warfare, as the scripture tells us, can't be carnal ones. We, we, as much as we need to be involved in the political process in a nation like ours of the matter of self-governance, I think not only do Christians have a responsibility, I think we're, we're compelled to be involved. But that said, uh, we're not going to change this direction, then you're saying, by simply electing the right candidate or passing the right laws or uh, making sure that the the right individuals uh, sent back to Washington, D.C., there's something deeper going on. And that leads me to a critical question here. As we look at what's going on in the world today, Dr. Jeremiah, is the analysis here not necessarily that there is suddenly an overabundance of evil, or is the real problem here a lack of good or, 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 or a lack of light? Hmm. You know, that's an interesting question. Um, someone, uh, someone once told me that there really is no such thing as darkness, that darkness is not a quality that exists that light exists and darkness is simply the absence of it and i think in that respect that's probably what our problem is yeah we have a lot of darkness uh, but darkness is just the absence of light we are the light of the world and god has called us to be the salt of the earth but if we don't shine our lights then all we do is uh we uh acquiesce to the darkness so I, I think what I tried to do with this book is, is remind people that we we can make a difference by becoming, by just being being real Christians and living the Christian life and not not becoming so much like the world that they can't tell the difference. All of us, I think, you know, continuing that analogy, you know what it's like to come home uh, after an evening and uh, the lights are all out and the house is very dark and you enter into the, your house and you say, gee, it's very dark in here. Uh, no one would say, leave the door open so that some of the darkness can pour out. No, we would say we need to turn on a light. Somebody go and turn on the light. Maybe that same analogy then needs to be applied to the church, the body of Christ, as we see what's unfolding before. And you know, we get this growing sense of frustration that now there's the opportunity for the church to turn on the light. It's the old adage that, you know, you can sit around and curse the darkness or you can light a candle. And, you know, we, you know, that's very trite and very used and very old. But I, I do make this point. We become very good at cursing the darkness. Mm. We, 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 you know, and, and that's one of the things I told somebody when I wrote this book, I, I don't want this book to come off like I'm a, a grouchy old grandfather, you know. I, I just want to say, you know, we've come a long ways. And when you take a look at, at the erosion of culture over the four decades that I've been serving the Lord, and that's kind of my my view of this uh, from, you know, 30,000 feet to look down and see, we have come a long way. And I think maybe, if nothing else, this book w- will help a few people say, Whoa, how did this happen, and what can we do to, to keep this from continuing? Dr. David Jeremiah with us on this edition of Lifeline. His new book, I Thought I'd Never See the Day, it was uh, newly released here at the fall of last year, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it online through his website at davidjeremiah.org. That's davidjeremiah.org. We mentioned, too, that Dr. Jeremiah is coming to Northern California, an evening with David Jeremiah taking place on Friday, February the 10th, at the Power Balance Pavilion in Sacramento. Details on that in a moment as our conversation with Dr. David Jeremiah continues on this edition of Lifeline. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.